Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up, if you would, to John chapter 12. And I uh, want to just share maybe a little different message with you this morning. And just as I was meditating um, at camp and just going through things, just seeking the Lord, and God just reminding me some things. I always like it when God talks to me. Amen? And uh, keeps my heart right before Him. And I was blessed when Michael was here two weeks ago. He just ministered on the kingdom of God being in you. Jared did a great message last week just on stirring up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. How to have strong, how to have consistency in your life when you're going through trials. Amen? Being in relationship and having intimacy with the Lord, which is so important. And we've been teaching leading up to that just on the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. It's so important that you know the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Maybe I could just uh, illustrate it a little bit this morning. I'll kind of go back and forth on this. Stay with me for just a second. Now, if you go someplace and you're a guest, then that means you've been invited to be there. Is that right? So somebody has invited you, and so you're a guest in that place. And uh, that's really who the Holy Spirit is. He's asked to be invited into your life. And the question is, do you have a place for Him? Have you made room for Him? Will you make room for Him? So in order to have a guest, you make preparation. If you invite people over, you make preparation for them to come to your house, hopefully. Anytime, uh, our house, my wife is an amazing uh, housekeeper, keeps the house super clean and that. And uh, so anytime somebody's coming over, she could have cleaned the bathroom yesterday, but somebody's coming over, she'll clean it again. I said, honey, it's clean. Yeah, but people are coming over. I said, okay. So she's expecting a guest, but she's making preparation. Amen. So hopefully if people coming over, you do some cleaning. Amen. You make preparation. You get ready. And you don't say, oh, just accept me the way I am. Well, you're comfortable there, but not everybody else might be. Amen. And so you, you, you want them to be comfortable in your place and in your prayer. So you make preparation. That's what I'm saying. But in dealing with that, what about with the Lord? So the Holy Spirit comes, so it's important for us to know Him. It's important that I need to invite Him into my life. He is a guest. He doesn't come without invitation. He, he doesn't move in. He's not a controlling spirit. Amen? He asks you to yield to Him and make room. That's what we sang, I will make room for you. We just sang that song in worship this morning. I will make room for you. Come and do whatever you want to do in my life. So there's a yielding that comes with His presence in our lives. Amen? And so when that happens, it's a powerful thing. And, and uh, so in John chapter 20, I want you to read these, John chapter excuse me, 12, beginning in verse 20. And it says this, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Now look at Jesus' response. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and what? Dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Father, I thank you in these next few moments that by your Holy Spirit you'll move in each and every one of our heart. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, somebody said, Amen. Amen. So look at your outline with me. And this was a thought that just came up, and I think about it a lot in, in this area. And today, uh, most everyone wants the fullness of God in their lives, but we want it at a discount price. 
Or in other words, I feel that, that, that the, the, the concept of our culture is today, what's the most I can get for the least? What's the most that I could have for the least of investment, the least of my time? That would co- I, I, I want to pay the least for everything. Can I get a deal? Can I get this? Can I get a discount? And when I live like that, then when I come to God, God is never on sale or with a discount. You can never have God at a discount price. There is always a requirement of fullness. Yet God only reveals His fullness to those who will abandon all to possess Him. I love what Oswald Chambers says. He says, Abandon to God is of more value than personal holiness. Wow. When we are abandoned to God, He works through us all the time. Wow. What does it mean to be abandoned to God? It means that Everything I have, I give up. I forsake all to follow Him, to be abandoned to Him. In order to have Him, I have to give up all that I am. I don't get to drag anything with me. I have to give all that up. But if I can do that, look what Jesus said. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground in what? dies then it abides alone and so if i want to get past this feeling of alone past the feeling of uh, of where's god in that if i just abandon myself to him if i invite the holy spirit into my life and i make room for him and his presence is there but it takes a place of making that room through abandonment look at this nothing we do for the lord is to be done by our own strength you're not called to live your life for him in your own strength you're not called to 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 work for him in your own strength you're not called to live for him or have a marriage for him in your own strength he graces us for everything amen everything he graces us for only through our complete reliance upon his holy spirit working in us and through us and that cannot happen until we abandon ourselves to him what we try to preserve of our own self-perceived virtue strength gifts or abilities will always hinder and cut us off from the pure flow of his spirit through our lives When we struggle and I walk with God, it's when I'm trying to hold on to part of who I am instead of abandoning all that I am for all that He is. Are you doing okay? Amen. So watch this. In other words, I have to get past me. Your biggest challenge in life is not the devil. You're your own challenge. Getting past you. How you feel about you, defending yourself, your perception of yourself, other people's perception of you. Who cares what other people think about you? You should not. Are you doing all right? Not in a way that control. I mean, if you're being rude and obnoxious, that's one thing. But if you're worried whether people care about your hairstyle, your clothes style, your other style, whatever it is, if you're trying and vying for people's acceptance, there's only one that you need to be accepted by. And that's Him. Amen? So, so live for His approval. Because if I'm trying to, to appease others, I'm caught up in that, and I'm not focusing on Him. Are you doing all right? I have to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and make Him my focus. Look, at, He doesn't need what we have to offer, what we have of ourselves to offer. We need what He seeks to give all who will abandon themselves to Him. He doesn't need me to bring anything to the table. Even though He gave me gifts, talents, and ability, you have to take everything you have and just put it on the shelf and leave it over here. And then everything comes back. The great thing is, we'll talk about it in a moment, but everything comes back in resurrection life. But I don't, I don't, well, I'm going to come to God, but I'm holding on to this good stuff in my life. No, let it lay it all down. And then let him bring back through the anointing what he wants to use to your life, anointed by his Holy Spirit. So he wants to give us his life, his gifts, his power, his provision, but all lie on the other side of abandonment to Christ. That's why it's called resurrection or life after death. Amen? I mean, in Romans chapter 6, if you read it, it says we are buried with him in baptism and we are raised with him in newness of life. Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 2. I'm crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live. Or Paul says when I look to the cross and I see Jesus on the cross, I realize that he died for my sin. Jesus died for my sin. Or in other words, he took my judgment. His death was so I could have life. But the way I have life is I have to identify with his death. I have to die to my old man so I can live as the new man in Christ. 
And so that, that's abandoned. I have to abandon my old life. There's nothing good in us. When Romans says, there's none righteous, no, not one. All the stuff you think that is good about your life is filthy rag. God bless you this morning. I'm trying to be nice. We think too well of ourselves, so we try to hold on to the good stuff of our life. But Paul says there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Years ago, my friend John Muncy, who passed away, he would do youth camps and do different things. And when he talked about entertainment, he had a great uh, illustration. It's a bowl of Cheerios, and it has a plop of dog poop in it. And the illustration was, well, the poop isn't touching all the Cheerios. So you could probably eat these and that would be okay. No, the whole bowl's contaminated. Are you doing all right? And so years ago, I used that in a sermon, and a couple that uh, has moved out of state and, and live in Tennessee, the, the lady, I come into my office one morning, and there's a, there's a bowl, and she took a bowl of Cheerios and used hot glue and everything else, and, and, then, and a pile of dog poop. So I have a bowl up my office with a pile of Cheerios and dog poop in it. Amen. But it's a reminder, because listen to what we say, the common phrase in our culture today is it's not that bad. It's not that bad. So we're holding on to stuff in our life that's not that bad. But God says if you could abandon all the not that bad stuff in your life, all the stuff that you think is righteous, all the stuff that you think somehow adds to what I want to do in your life, and just abandon yourself from yourself to me, you would receive the fullness of all that I have for you. But until you're ready to abandon all, you can't have all of Him. Think about it again. Whatever we hold on to always detracts it. You see, through Christ, we've been reconciled to the Father. Through reconciliation, we become partakers of renewal and regeneration. You can read it in 2 Corinthians 5. Which means we are new, a new creation in Christ. We are born again. Somebody say this with me. There's a death in the family. That's why when you get saved, that means there's been a death in the family. Somebody died to the old. But the death isn't the end of the story. That's what we're afraid of. We're afraid if I die, if I abandon, that's it. Look at what everything I lose. I'm not worried about what I lose. I'm focused on what I gain. If you focus on loss, you will never see what is to gain in Christ. That's why Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me on the cross. If he would give himself for me, how much more should I give myself to him? Amen. So good. Oh, I. Where old man, we're born again, where the old man and his old nature pass away, and where we are now to live by the new nature of Christ in us, to be endued with the power of his Holy Spirit working in us and through us for his glory. Amen. So I don't know about you, we, we get excited when somebody dies, when they pass away. Think about that. Second Corinthians says, if any man be in Christ, old things have passed away. Amen. So let those things pass away and then allow yourself to be raised up in newness of life. Jesus declared this in John chapter 17 that he had done, glorified the Father here on the earth. He says in verse 4, it's there in your outline, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. We are to do the same thing as true believers and followers of Christ, meaning we also have a work to do for the Father while we are here on the earth. He has equipped us by His Spirit to do it, and we bring glory to Him when we do. See, we're equipped by God. God has something for each and every believer. The moment you get saved and accept Christ as your Savior, the, 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 the Bible says you are baptized into the body by the Holy Spirit. You become a functioning member of the body of Christ. That means you have something to do for God. Every person has something and you're to do, and you're part of His eternal purpose and plan. Everybody has a function and a way to bring glory to God. But in order to do that, I have to abandon my will to His. I have to live for Him. Amen. And we get pulled in so many directions that it's hard to keep that focus. And hopefully I can show you how to do that today. 
This is why it's so important that every believer understands correctly the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives individually and His work through our lives corporately as the body of Christ. We're continuing on. This is kind of just an interlude here in teaching on the Holy Spirit. But you need to know who He is to you. And you need to know how He works in your life individually and how He works in our lives corporately together. Amen? Hallelujah. So what? He equips us and fits us to function in the body of Christ, and He is the one who baptizes us into the body in our set place of function. But because of a lack of understanding and teaching, the, and people unfortunately misrepresenting Him. I get people all the time, well, I saw somebody doing this stupid stuff. I saw somebody doing this stupid Let me just tell you, stupid has never been, uh, <laughs> how can I say this? There's never been a lack of stupid in the world. And there's never been a lack of stupid people doing stupid things. Amen. You just watch people all the time. That's crazy. Just watch people drive. People driving and you see stupid all the time. Amen. They're just zing-zanging in and out, cutting people off. We're driving yesterday and, and people, I love it when people on the freeway decide that they can lane over three lanes to the exit. Just cut cross, you know, and stuff. How I many know that's not smart? And stuff. So all those different things that people do on a regular basis. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, people get in the flesh and want to be spiritual because they want to be seen as being spiritual. So people come to church and they want people to think they are spiritual, so they want to be seen doing something that they think is spiritual, so they do stupid stuff and call it the Holy Spirit. Are you doing all right? And then people get afraid. Well, if we let the Holy Spirit move in our church, people are going to do some of that stupid stuff. They say, how do you deal with that? You just say, hey, that's stupid. Stop. <laughs> Amen? You, you can't be afraid to correct that stuff. But on the other side, just because people are going to do stupid stuff and misrepresent the Holy Spirit, you don't cut the Holy Spirit off. And cut his movement off. Well, what if somebody does this? What if somebody gets in the flesh? Then just you will know it. You'll get in the flesh. Our spirit can discern with your spirit. Amen? You know, that's not right. Over the years, we've had all kinds of stuff happen on the manifestation. People just judge for themselves. You have, a, you have discernment. Amen? And so you judge that. Hey, that person just needs some help. Praise the Lord. Amen. So watch it. So what happens is the Holy Spirit then has been the proverbial baby thrown out with the bathwater. In most churches, people are afraid of the Holy Spirit to come and manifest presence and power. Amen. So we don't. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We read it. We say amen, but we don't want any of them to manifest. Doing all right. Amen. So as a result, the body of Christ has had to create substitutes for His power in the church. And any substitute for the Holy Spirit is just stuff. Amen. On the day of Pentecost, they had no band. I like music. I like bands. I like worship. They had no band. They didn't have... It wasn't 72 degrees in the room. The lights weren't set at the right atmospheric level. The sound system wasn't perfectly tuned. The live stream wasn't coming through with clarity. They had none of the stuff. Everybody wasn't seated and comfortable in their chosen place. Are you doing all right? See, when you don't have the power, you have to have stuff in your life. The whole New Testament, they didn't have the stuff, but they had the power and the presence of God. So what we've done today, in, in replace of the Holy Spirit, we've opted for entertainment. So we have to have the best musicians, the best singers, the best stuff. We have to look like an entertainment center in order to get people to come and sit and hear the Word. But entertainment is not transformational. Entertainment won't transform you. There's only one thing that will transform you, and that's the life and the power of God. Amen. And that's His Word. Are you doing okay? 
Now, don't misunderstand. We built a beautiful building. We have all the stuff, and we use all the stuff. I like all the stuff. I bought a new microphone. I'm glad they don't, they have, don't have cords on them. I hate cords. We put all our cords on the floor. I don't like a mess. I like things to be neat. So we're going to have the stuff, use the stuff, but do it neatly. Amen? So I like neat. Amen? And so we use all that stuff, and we take advantage of all that stuff, but the stuff isn't the thing that we're after. Are you doing okay? But people judge today based upon what, what kind of stuff, what does your church offer? We offer Jesus and we offer the power of the Holy Ghost and life-changing power. And one moment in His presence will change your life forever. Everything else is just icing on the cake. Amen. But I don't want to just eat the icing. I want the cake. I want the substance. Can you shout Amen. So that's what we're after. So watch what happens. Think about the final commission of the Lord to the disciples to go and to wait for the Holy Spirit. Telling them that the helper was coming. The equipper was coming. The power was coming. And they were not to go until he came. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. I'm going away. Ten days before the day of Pentecost. At his ascension. The last thing he says. His last commission is don't go until he comes. Don't go until you're endued with power. Don't do anything in your own strength. Wait until you receive the promise of the Father. He commissioned them. They were to tarry. They were to wait to be endued and clothed with His power. Why? Because we cannot fulfill the supernatural task that He has given us without a supernatural Savior working in us and through us by His Spirit. Amen? There can be no great move of God in our lives without preparation of the upper room. We're not going to have people praying all the time, oh, we want revival, we want revival. But you want it at a discount price. Revival came in the book of Acts because they took the word of the Lord, they did what He said, and they waited for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. They stayed in a room, locked in a room for 10 days, seeking God, praying and pressing into His presence and waiting until He came. Are you doing all right? God's people gathered together in one place. In one accord, in unity, continuing in prayer. How many would like to see a revival? Amen. Sunday, or Sunday September 10th. Sunday night, September 10th. Second Sunday, we're going to have prayer here at the church. For our monthly prayer. Sunday night, 6.30. For one hour. How many want to see Revival. Now, if that many people showed up, that'd be a breakthrough in our prayer meeting. Because usually people want revival, but they don't want to pray. They don't want to spend time in His presence. They don't want to seek God. When God gives you the formula, you can't get it any other way except by His formula. Amen? Well, on Sunday nights, I have everything I do. Then quit asking for revival. Amen. See, if I, I, uh. Lord, I want the power. I want what you just said. I want to be in due with power. But to spend the next 10 days waiting on you in an upper room with all these people? Now, why? Jesus appeared, and, and it, nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. Jesus appeared to over 500, over 500 people saw him ascend. How many made it to the upper room? 120, one-fifth, one-fifth showed up in an upper room. One-fifth that had seen him. One-fifth of the people that had seen him in resurrected glory. One-fifth of the people that had seen him go up. Wow. Are you doing okay this morning? I know I'm up close and personal, but it's my job. Amen. So that we can't have that. But what? But to tarry and wait for something is not an acceptable viewpoint of our day. We declare this. It's my blessing. I want it now. We've watched too many J.G. Wentworth commercials. <laughs> it's my money. I want it now. It's my blessing. It's my answer. It's, my th- it's mine and I want it now. I read in the Bible, it's mine and I want it now. 
Listen to what William Seymour said. Does anybody know who William Seymour is? William Seymour was the pastor of the Azusa Street Church. William Seymour went to Topeka, Kansas. He's a black man from Louisiana. Went to Topeka, Kansas, blind in one eye. And in that day, he was so hungry for God in his life that in that day he had heard of Charles Parham and the revival they were having there at Topeka, Kansas, because there was a young girl who wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They'd been reading about the Holy Spirit. Say, God, if this is you, we want what your word says. So they began to seek. So they had a prayer tower. This young girl went up in the prayer tower, began to wait on the Holy Spirit. And as she's up there praying and seeking God and Terry, then God baptized her with the Holy Spirit. She begins to speak in other tongues. And an outpouring began to pour out through that campus there and through the Bible school. William Seymour hears about it. He goes to Topeka, Kansas because of that day where our culture was in segregation. He couldn't go in the classroom. So William Seymour was allowed to sit in the hallway and Charles Parman allowed the door to be open so he could listen through the door to hear the teaching on the Holy Spirit. And then God moved him and he went to Azusa Street, to Los Angeles and they started and uh, so it wouldn't, they, they, they couldn't get a building, things happened there. So they met at a house on Bonnie Bray Street and began a prayer meeting. And for almost two years they prayed. And as yet, William Seymour hadn't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And God was pouring out a spirit, people were getting filled, but he was still waiting on God. But he kept pressing, kept believing, kept preaching. Are you doing okay? He kept waiting on God, kept waiting on God. And so this is what he said when it comes to doing that. And then God used him as a pastor. And William Seymour, this was their church. Their church was in the old, the, the, the church at Azusa Street there was an old horse stable. If you want to read a good book, you can look up a book. If you want to write this down in your notes, it's called How Pentecost Came to Azusa by Frank Bartleman. He wrote it in 1925. I have an original copy up in my desk that my grandfather had. And it was, it was a horse stable. And they swept the floor. It had dirt floors. And they had benches there, altars there that people would meet at. And, and God would move by his power, just miraculous power. And, and, and for a pulpit, we have this beautiful glass, you know, thing here. They had two chicken crates, wood crates, stacked on top of each other. And Seymour would spend most of his time sitting behind those crates with his head stuck in there just praying. Seeking God. And God miraculously moved. People would come by. There were things that, that people had seen that looked like the building was on fire. And people come in to see why the building wasn't burning up. And God would move upon them. People all over. Thousands of missionaries went out around the world to preach the gospel out of that move of God. Powerful. But as people coming into his presence, what happened there, it's just so powerful. You should read the book. I don't want to spend too much time on that. But Seymour wrote this. In John chapter 7, I'm a little bit ahead of myself, but it says this. So what? Seymour said this. Jesus said in John chapter 7, it's there in your outline. Listen, let me read it first. It says, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, anyone who is thirsty, what? Let him what? Come to who? If you're thirsty, come to Jesus. If you're thirsty, come to Jesus. Not to a program, not to an event, not to another service, although all, all that we do. Are you listening to me? But if you do all that stuff and you never get to him, you never get a drink. Anyone who is thirsty, let him come. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scripture says, declares, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So Jesus prophesying about the promise of the Father and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit says, hey, if you're thirsty, if you're dry, what did he say to the woman at the well? He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who's speaking to, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Amen. And he says, anybody who drinks of this water will never thirst again. Come on, if you get dry in your Christian walk, then why aren't you drawing from the well? You always have water available to you in Him. If you need a drink, ask Him. Are you doing all right? 
He's available to you. Praise the Lord. So listen to what Seymour said, a commentary on that. He said, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is power. The understanding of His Word and the glory of God on your life. Whenever the Lord wants to play His harp, He tunes it up and plays with His own fingers, speaking and singing in any language He wishes. The man who hears you speak a message right from the throne falls down and seeks God and gets up to report that God is in you of a truth. The baptism of the Holy Spirit makes you more humble and fills you with divine love. Through spirit baptism, the grace and fruit of the Spirit are manifest. When you get your baptism with the Holy Spirit, you will surely go up the mountain with Christ. If you want to know what it is to praise God and have the joy of the Lord in your soul that flows out like a mighty river, tarry and get your personal Pentecost. He keeps the river flowing in your soul that you may be fit for irrigation wherever you go. That's powerful. He said, hunger for God and just seek after Him. Get your personal Pentecost. Have that experience with God. And then when you live in that presence of God, then wherever you go, you bring water and refreshing to those around you. Can you shout amen? amen. Hallelujah. So watch this. Turn on the last page of your outline if you would. The last day of the Feast of Tabernacles is considered to be one of the most significant because of all that it represents in relationship to the waters of the wells of salvation. It signifies releasing of the spiritual living waters God offers to the believer in the infilling and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. First given at Pentecost, Jesus filled His voice and shouted above the noise of the exuberant and loud crowd and their rejoicing to announce the coming of the promise of the Father. So everybody's caught up in the celebration, but everybody's missing the point. Sometimes that's us. Hear about it. Every one of the seven feasts given to Israel connected is connected to a promise that was yet to come and be fulfilled. If you look at the feast that God gave, Passover was the promise of the coming Lamb. First fruits was the resurrection of the dead. We worship God on Sunday because it's the day of first fruit. It's the day of resurrection. Glory to God. God is so good. Now what? Everything about it. We must guard against getting so caught up and even religious in our celebration of the promise that we miss the fulfillment of the promise when it comes. What happened to Israel? Jesus is there. He's fulfilling the promises. He's fulfilling the feast. In his life, he fulfilled the first four of the seven feasts. Amen. And they missed it all. Are you doing all right? So watch this. Never forget, God brings about the fulfillment of his word. Every part of his word has an appointed time, and it will surely come to pass. Habakkuk said it, though it tarries, wait for it, it will surely come. But it's hard to tarry, to wait for the promise until I am abandoned to God, until I can't. To wait for it until I am abandoned for God. Until I have let go of all of me to possess all of Him. Until He becomes the greatest treasure and desire of my life. Hear that again. It's hard to wait for God until you can let go of all of yourself. It's hard. Until He becomes the greatest treasure and desire of my life. Hear me again. Another sermon won't do it. You don't need... Another one of my miraculous messages. Even though they help. That's part of it. Because preaching is part of the gospel. But just hearing a message isn't going to change your life. Another conference, another event, or experience won't do it. Think about what people experience. It blows my mind all the time. People had their children raised from the dead. People saw Jesus... In his glorified state. And it wasn't enough. People saw blind eyes open. They saw people, they, they saw so many miracles. Miracles. So just an experience isn't enough. Because the experience isn't the answer. He is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is a person. And I must seek to possess him, to have him and only Him in my life, to place Him above all else and everyone else in my life, and to abandon all to possess Him. I'm asking my beautiful wife to come up here. Come here, sweetheart. She didn't know I was going to do this. I'll be in trouble later. 
1978, I saw her. I saw her. And I said, she's worth it all. So I asked her to be a guest in my life. Have a seat, sweetheart. So she became a permanent guest in my life. I asked her to come and take up residence in life with me. And I vowed to have her and her only in my life. And we were married to each other. And we vowed the giving of our lives to each other. And you have a Savior who's already vowed His life to you. But see, my wife is here, but I also have to... Steve, come here. Steve, my friend. Come here. Michael, come here. Mike, my friend. All, all you guys are my friend. Uh, Tony, come here. He's my friend. Eli, come here. Ken, come here. Jim, come here. Come here, guy. Come here. You guys are close. You guys come over here. Okay? My homies. But let's see. These guys like to hang out. We like to hang out together. I like to hang out. But but if, if my time is more devoted to them than to her. Amen? They have everything in our life. Then, then, then over here, you have all the things you like, to, all, all the stuff you like to do. And maybe do some of that stuff with your friend. But you have all this other stuff over here. You have your job. You, you have your desire to have money, to have things, to possess it, to do all that stuff. And that's fine for your time. So if I'm giving myself to that, and I'm giving myself to this, but how often am I giving myself to the one that I vowed my life to. Amen? And then when this kind of goes south, or this gets dry, and I'm wondering why, and I start blaming her, and I get discouraged with her, and so that discouragement, I spend more time and they're really not that cute. <laughs> so in that case, I come over here and I look for cuter guys like Robert to hang out with. Amen. Amen. So anyway, because we have the same hair. Amen. It's awesome. But in all that, I get drawn. Instead of coming back over here and giving my devotion where it belongs. Thank you, gentlemen. Are you doing all right? Stay there, sweetheart. Go with me to Matthew chapter 13. Last scripture. Matthew 13. Beginning in verse 44. says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells what? All that he has and buys that field. See, for me, for my wife, my greatest joy is when I just get to spend time with her. We're busy, we do all kinds of stuff and do everything, but us being able to walk on the beach, get away to do things where we're not being pulled, where not have to do a thing, those are times. And so life gets busy, but you have to cherish and carry that in your heart. Are you listening to me? You have to protect that. It has to be something that you want to protect and preserve and carry and maintain. And so when I found her, that means I don't get to have any other girlfriends. I only get to have one girlfriend. That's kind of lame in this Holy Ghost Bible belief. Come on, guys, I only get to have Amen. one girlfriend. That, that, that means a real one or a digital one. 
online. Amen? You only get to have one girl in your life. Everybody else. Because she's the pearl, she, she's the field of pride. Look, look at the next two verses. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into, excuse me, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. And when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold what? All that he had and bought it. See, I'm talking about abandonment. See, if you're not willing to sell all, Jesus is talking about the kingdom. How many know he is the kingdom? If I have him, I have his kingdom. He is the kingdom. So, his kingdom has to be worth everything to me. You have to sell all. What did Jesus tell the rich young ruler? Go and give, sell all that you have and give it away and come and follow me. Jesus offered himself to the rich young ruler as a greater possession than all that he had. With all of your riches, with everything you have, I am still a greater possession in your life. Are you doing all right? And so what I'm saying is, is that's what hinders us today because so many are trying to serve God and have Him as, as the greatest treasure of their life, but they're not willing to let go of everything and to abandon everything to have Him. And so as a result, it doesn't work. That's why things get in between you. Marriage and divorce comes by stuff that gets in between you and your spouse. Things that separate you from becoming one. Too many times it's money. Too many times it's relationship. Too many things it's desires that one likes to do, the other one doesn't like to do. Well, she didn't like to do this. I don't like to do that. You've heard me tell the story. Pastor Sue doesn't really like to do anything I do. Activity-wise. She doesn't like to hunt. My daughter just went to hunting class. She didn't go hunting with Brian. And Jimmy goes, Sue goes, are you really? And so... Uh, she tells mom, you should get yours and we'll go together. Mom goes, not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. And uh, so she's not going to hunt with me. She, really like, she, she likes to fish. If I put on the bait and take the fish off, that's not fishing. That's me working. <laughs> I don't touch bait. Did you throw it out? I'll reel it in and hand it to you and call that fishing. Oh, that's not fishing. But anyway, so she won't touch the fish, won't touch the worm, won't touch anything else, or do any of that. She just, you go have fun. She doesn't like to play golf. She doesn't like to do anything. <laughs> and so she goes, and, and I go, and she goes, you go have a good time. But at the same point, see, you all know that Sean's mom and I were divorced. I was divorced from Sean's mom. But see, at that time, I expected Sean's mom to like everything I liked. And I wouldn't give up any of it. And the Lord showed me after my divorce, after I got saved, He says, this is why your marriage failed. And so when I met Sue, she asked me, what do you like to do? Nothing. <laughs> I don't like anything. What do you like to do? She likes to shop. Not necessarily buy, but shop. Just to look, to try, to buy it, bring it home, take it back. That's cool. <laughs> bring it home, take it back. Maybe I, this is, oh, that's awesome, but it's probably going back. Okay. So, <laughs> so anyway. No, I said, look, good. No, I like it. I like it. I don't. It, 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 it. Oh. Okay. So anyway, so I with her, and I learned to shop. I am now a professional. Amen. <laughs> and so years ago, she went and got her, how many remember ladies getting your colors done? So she went and got her colors done, so I learned her colors. So then I would actually go buy her clothes. Huh? What happened? What happened? <laughs> so. So we would go shopping together, and, and then she would get in there. She couldn't make her move. So I'd go pick stuff up, and I'd say, you go in the dressing room, and I'll throw stuff at you. So we'd do that and, and stuff over the years. But in doing that, but I found out that by giving yourself to someone, then God, if you can die to something, God will bring it back to you in resurrected form. And when it comes back to you in resurrected form, it will never control your life again. 
And so when I met Sue, I didn't have a fishing pole, I didn't have a gun, I didn't have golf clubs, I didn't have any, you know, I didn't have n- none of the stuff to do the stuff I like to do. And since that time, everything's been added back to my life in resurrection form, and I get to use it very happy. But I'm not content in doing that stuff. That's not the fulfillment of my life. If I get to do it, that's cool, that's fun. I get to do it. But I don't live for that anymore. Therefore, that no longer is a division in our life. See, some of you, you come to Christ, and instead of learning how to come to Christ as coming to a bride and learning to give up everything to be one with them, you keep holding on to stuff, and the stuff, you you still have your habit, you still have your entertainment, you still have the things you like to do, and Jesus doesn't do any of that stuff. He has one thing that He does. He seeks and He saves the law. And He has a work to do. He's living to do the will of the Father in the earth. And when you come connected to Him, your will becomes one with His will. Are you doing all right? And so you live out of that union together. But then on the other side, God has added everything back into my life. My father-in-law showed up in Bernie when we first were married, going to ministry in Bernie. My father-in-law shows up. He brought me a, a rifle, a, a, a Remington 30 6 ADL, scoped out everything in a case. Goes, are you going hunting this year? I go, no, Dad, I, I don't have a gun or anything. Hands me a gun. I said, I think I'll go hunting. She actually went hunting with me one time. I went opening weekend, spied out this land. The next weekend, we went up to go camping, have the truck. We was going to spend the weekend hunting. We drive up on the hill Friday afternoon, get up, go over the crest, look at a beautiful spot. I said, honey, this is a great place. Let's just go up the hill, sun setting. Maybe there's something up there. We walk up there, this three-point buck shit standing there. Boom, shoot him. She goes, what's so hard about this? It's my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so anyway, but she's never gone since. She just goes, then boom, get back here. Okay, see you back here at five for dinner. Amen. <laughs> but anyway, so we do that. So God adds that back to you. Other things that God has added back into our life and bring back in. So you get, you, you have enjoyment, but it no longer controls my life. If I get, I don't live, that's not fulfillment. I'm not, I, I enjoy it. But I don't live to be fulfilled through that stuff. My fulfillment is in doing the will of God. And the other thing is doing the will of God together. Are you doing all right? Thank you, sweetheart. Give this beautiful lady a hand. She's amazing. Amen. The Apostle Paul said it best as I close. Listen to what he said. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found by Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God by faith. Hear me this morning. Your faith, my faith, must be in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just in what He says. Until the Word of God becomes the incarnate Christ to us. The Word made flesh. We will struggle. See, your Bible is not just a book. This is the living Word of God. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. In verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now the Word is alive, seated by the right hand of the Father. It was the Word made flesh that went to the cross. It is the Word that we give place in our life. How I reverence God's Word determines my relationship with Him. You cannot separate Christ from His Word. The Word made flesh. Until we get there, we will struggle. 
You can debate and deny words. People do it. People debate and deny the word of God. Well, the Bible's written by man. I'm sorry, you're stupid. I really am. Because that argument is hindering you from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you cannot debate and deny the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can debate and deny words, but you cannot debate Him. He's a living person. So what do I do? I anchor my faith to Him. Because He's the living Word and He never fails. In John chapter 7, or excuse me, in Luke chapter 7, Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to his house for a meal. Put you another way. He invited Christ into his life. And he gave him, there's a guest, as a seat. But he never recognized him for who he was. But the Bible says, the account says this. That a woman of the street came in. A prostitute. And while Jesus was sitting at his place as a guest. She pushed her way through. And found herself. At his feet. She abandoned everything that people would think about her. She could care less about the room and the people who were there. She only wanted to get to the one who had given her back her true identity, who had given her life. Not only did she just come, but the Bible says she brought expensive oil. And when she got to his feet, while Jesus was just a guest to everybody else, she was the answer to her life. He was the answer to her life. So there, in abandonment to him, she begins to weep. Because she's aware of how much she's been forgiven. See, some of us have never realized that our sin is the reason that cross. Because we're kind of like the Cheerios. We're not that bad yet. We don't see ourselves that way. So until I really realize that it's my sin, nobody else's. If I'd have been the only one that ever lived, my sin, my life would have been enough for him to have to go there. Are you listening to me? She presses through and gets there. But Simon is feeling good because he's got Jesus in his life. And so what's he doing? He's caught up with all of his other guests. He's not paying any attention to Jesus. And this woman comes in begins to weep at his feet, and with her tears, begins to wash his feet. The only person who ever washed the feet of Jesus was this woman. She did it with her tears that flowed from understanding what it means to be forgiven. To be made clean in spite of what everything else and everybody else thinks about you. Dries him with her hair. And then after that, she begins to anoint his feet with oil. And that fragrance is filling the room. While Simon is saying, if this man was really a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this was. While other people are judging her. While other people are thinking about her. Some of you, you never answer altar calls because you're too concerned of what somebody in the room would think of you if you made your way to his feet. So as a result, she's there. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, 
I have something to say to you. When I came into your house, you did not give me the normal greeting of a guest. You didn't offer me water to wash my feet. But since this woman came in, she hasn't ceased to wash my feet with her tears. You did not give me oil to anoint my head. But this woman has anointed my feet with oil. And you did not give me a greeting of a kiss and a welcome. But this woman, since she entered, hasn't ceased to kiss my feet. And this is what he said. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. And I'm preaching this this morning because if you want the Holy Spirit to move in your life, if you want to live in the kingdom that Michael preached so powerfully about, you want to live in the reality of what God orchestrated in bringing Michael and Jared together in the middle of our messages here. If you want to live in that peace and to have that assurance of God's gift and God's calling in your life, then you're going to have to find your way to His feet. You're going to have to be somebody that sees Him alive. That when you hold this book, you're holding Him. My life. Kevin, could you just come to the keyboard and play? Something powerful happens. It doesn't matter how long you say you've been a Christian. The only thing that matters is when was the last time you were at his feet? When was the last time that you just abandoned everything? When was the last time it wasn't about the needs that you have right now? Because if I ever get to his feet, because I know that I'm forgiven, that he loves me, if he loves me, See, sometimes we think not worthy of His love. Which one of your children would ever look at you? Just look at you. I'm not worthy of your love. You're a kid. He loves you. He loves you. many times I'm too caught up with the other people in the room. I invited Jesus into my house, into my home, into my heart. It's more about how people perceive that than it is about making sure he's at his rightful place. Simon didn't even give him advice. I believe Jesus had to go seat himself. He wasn't at the head of the table. He wasn't as the honored guest. He was just Somebody in the room seated at the table with everybody else and Simon getting credit for having Jesus in his house. I know this. I know my life was a complete failure. One day I found myself at his feet just giving up and giving everything to Him. I didn't have a list of anything that I thought He could do to make it better. I just admitted that I needed a Savior. If I give my life to Him, change it. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head to me. Some in this room, you're struggling in so many areas. How do I fix it? How do I make it work? 
your answer is always at his feet. Some are so busy trying to find time for him and doing everything else. Just keep your heads bowed. I want you to know this. Just because I'm in ministry, it doesn't mean that I have all this time to do for God. I have, ministry is a job like every other job. I have responsibilities, things, and so I'm pulled in all the other directions. But if I don't make time for Him, it's like not making time for my wife. And then pretty soon other things creep in and move aside. And I feel a separation and that frustration. I'm not asking you to stand. I'm just asking you to sit for a moment and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And maybe you're here today and in these next few moments, maybe you feel the Holy Spirit pulling you to this altar, that you need a moment to move off the wall. The woman, see at Simon's house, guests could come in and stand against the wall and look and You could keep your back against the wall, but you could kind of be an open court spectator. But maybe you just need to move off of the wall today and press through the crowds, press through all the opposition, all the reasoning, all the things, and just move to this altar this morning and come to the feet of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ with nothing else but just to be in His presence, just to come to Him, to lay everything else, just a moment of abandonment to Him.